Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Pursuit of Happiness Radio. As we all know, there is a downside to freedom of speech. Pursuit of Happiness Radio. In America, you have a right to be stupid. Pursuit of Happiness Radio. This is America, and in America, if something sucks, you're supposed to be able to get your money back. This is Pursuit of Happiness Radio. Yes, hello, it's good. Uh, vodka, delicious. Tomato soup, serve the room temperature. Woman, nice. Greetings, friends. Welcome to Kenny Webster's Pursuit of Happiness. I, I, you know, I switched sides. I went full commie. This is now a pro-Marxist radio show. Okay, now that obviously I'm, obviously I'm pulling your third leg there. I'm kidding, kids. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Lots happening today on Kenny Webster's Pursuit of Happiness. Yes, we're going to talk about Russia. And Ukraine, we'll get to that in a second. Shut the damn music up. We don't need to listen to that. The sacred war by the Soviet army. No, no, we'll get to the commie stuff in a minute. Don't worry. There'll be plenty of time for that. There's a legislative session happening in Texas right now. We've got all the latest news. You know, they're passing new laws in Texas. We're going to tell you about it. And while we're doing that, we have the latest from publicly funded drug consumption sites. Yes, it's true, my friends. Your money is going towards... Helping heroin addicts get a little bit higher. We'll talk about that today. Plus, Joe Biden trying to have it both ways on Arctic drilling. We'll explain what that means. And speaking of Joe, uh, bizarre news from the Silicon Valley bank controversy. We'll get to all that soon. But first, let's begin with heavy D, big D. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, a report today from Sean Fleetwood that pretty much lays out for you all the reasons why Ron DeSantis doesn't think It's in the best interest of the United States to get involved in the Russian-Ukraine war. I know he's just repeating things we've said on this show over and over again. Why does everybody copy us? So rude, right? No, but it's true. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has called on the United States to find a peaceful resolution. I mean, there's been this ongoing Russian invasion in Ukraine, and it's not good. Odds are the war would have ended months ago and, and there'd be a lot less dead bodies and maybe not every liberal Democrat in America would be happy about the outcome. But let's pretend, and, and, and frankly, the fact that Ron DeSantis has pointed this out, and it's completely correct to do so, has really upset liberal Democrats in America. But I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here. I, again, let's pretend, put on your thinking caps, imagine it's the year 2002. Imagine it's the year 2002, and we've just gotten into not one but two major international wars. Oh, a lot of money being spent on funding war over in the Mideast. And everything's 2020 in hindsight. Everything's so obvious. After you've done it, whether or not it was a good decision to be made or not, most people at the time would have agreed we deserved retaliation for 9-11. Would you disagree with that? Probably not. You certainly didn't disagree at the time. But at the time, if you knew that was going to be a 20-year war, you would have approached it a bit differently, wouldn't you? And if you knew that Joe Biden's withdrawal 
from the from the from the war in Afghanistan was going to be so reckless, so haphazard that it would basically involve undoing all the work we just spent two decades doing, plus handing over a fresh new air force to the Taliban. You might have had very different feelings about it at the time, wouldn't you? Not an insane thing to think. Now, with all that in mind, imagine a reality in which a, a governor of one of the most popular states in America saying we should be hesitant to get involved in another never-ending war after all of that happened. You'd think, considering he's repeating something Democrats were saying over and over again about 20 years ago, liberal Democrats would be thrilled to hear Governor Ron DeSantis say this about the Ukraine-Russian war. Not the case. On Monday night, Tucker Carlson interviewed Ron DeSantis, and Ron revealed his team had sent a series of questions regarding the Russian-Ukraine conflict to potential and declared 2024 presidential primary candidate. Excuse me, Tucker declared. Tucker revealed he'd sent out these questions, and, you know, wouldn't you like to know what people said? What's our objective in Ukraine, and how are we going to know when we've achieved it? And what is the limit of money and weapons you'd be willing to send to, to Vladimir Zelensky? Right now, the United States is very low on money. We're very low on oil. Our strategic oil reserves have been pretty much tapped out, and we're very low on rockets and missiles. How do we know that? The federal government's told us. The federal government's told us we don't have all the money we need, we need, they say, for the FDIC to cover the costs of all the money that was lost from that Silicon Valley bank. We don't have as much money as we need to cover that. We don't have as much energy as we needed from the strategic oil reserves because we sold a lot of them off. And we don't have enough rockets and missiles to cover our ass right now because, among other things, we've wasted too much of it in places like Afghanistan and now Ukraine. So in response to Carlson... Ron DeSantis was very clear. He came right out and he said that getting further entangled in the Russian-Ukraine conflict, it's not vital to the strategic interests of Joe America, Joe and Jane, and obviously uh, gender-neutral America, people living in places like Fresno, California, or Waco, Texas, or uh, Flint, Michigan. Their, their lives will just not be any one bit different depending on who controls Ukraine. People on the left will say, yes, but Kenny... If, if Russia invades Ukraine, uh, they'll invade Poland. They'll invade uh, Germany. I know there was once a point where Poland and Germany were, were communist countries, but did Russia take over those countries by doing a land war? Did they take? No, that's not how they spread communism to those countries. The history books are very clear about that. It's very unlikely Russia is going to invade Poland or Germany, for that matter. Now, don't forget, and, and this did happen fairly recently, Ukraine used missiles that we gave them. Uh, they, you know, they claimed that they missed the targets they were hit, trying to hit, and they ended up hitting Poland, where they killed some people. So if you're worried about people's safety in Poland, I would say giving money and rockets to Ukraine is probably a horrible idea. And I agree with Ron DeSantis, but the Florida governor didn't stop there. DeSantis made it very clear, his opposition to regime change in Russia. Now, Joe Biden has all come out and said, no, 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 we, we're all about a regime change in Russia. And then, of course, a day later, they walked it back. But the damage was done when the president of the United States says things like this. It causes a lot of people in Eastern Europe, especially those sympathetic to Russia and places like, well, among other places, Russia, Belarus, you get the idea, that, that maybe war with America is, is, is very important. It's vital. Now, predictably, the common sense remarks from Ron DeSantis really upset some people, especially Washington's biggest neocons. 
it wasn't just Democrats that disagreed with this. And a lot of Democrats sound like neocons nowadays, but with an LGBT flag as their armband. One person who was particularly mad about this was Adam Kinzinger. Adam Kinzinger is accusing Ron DeSantis of trying to help Russia. It is possible that just because you're not hurting someone, you're not helping them either. You know, there's always a third option, right? You can help someone, you could hurt them, you could do nothing. Mike Pence, also very angry about this. Mike Pence is out flapping his gums to the liberal media. It's so obvious he wants to run for president, and I don't know why. Who the hell is Mike Pence running for president for? Anyway, a lot of Republicans out there did offer their views and their support to to Ron DeSantis on these comments. And, and eh, there's a variety of, of, of Republicans out there that want you to believe that they could handle the Ukraine-Russian war better. I think the best way to handle it is to not. Assalamu alaikum. Hey, look, you just shut your pie hole and keep working. Back to the pursuit of happiness radio. This is pursuit of happiness radio. Celebrating liberty and freedom. All great lies have tiny little seeds of truth embedded in them. I mean, it's if it's a good lie. You have to build it on a pile of facts. And, then, you know, after all, look at all these truths here. It must be true, right? After all, uh, it's surrounded by the truth. Therefore, it must be the truth. That's how good lies are told. I'll give you an obvious example from the news this week. We've been told there will not be a bailout for the Silicon Valley Bank or Signature Bank or now the New Republic Bank. No bailouts, they said. Of course, the FDIC is going to step in. And cover the costs to all the people who lost money that had bank accounts. And and so you might ask yourself, well, that sounds like a bailout, right? Okay, well, the FDIC does exist basically, among other things, to do stuff like that, to protect people in case a bank falls apart, right? That's sort of what it's for. It's the reason why we have the FDIC. But right now, the FDIC only has half the money they need to cover the losses from Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank and, of course, uh, New Republic Bank. So if they only have half the money, where do you think the other half the money is going to come from? And let's say hypothetically they get all the money together. They probably will. And they give the money over to the bank or the bank gives the money to the to the people that own the st- the people that own the bank accounts who lost their money. In a year or two, if Signature Bank falls apart, if Silicon Valley Bank falls apart, what happens to all that money? Do you think we get it back? Do you think it's a loan? I mean, they'll call it a loan, but it's not a loan. You know as well as I do. Flush, goodbye, it's gone. And oh, by the way, the reason they're saying it's not a bailout is because the stockholders who lost money on Silicon Valley Bank aren't going to get anything back. Of course, that's very confusing, too, because technically Silicon Valley Bank still exists. I mean, you didn't lose any money until you sell your stock. You didn't sell your stock yet. So, you know, why would you have lost any money? Maybe Silicon Valley Bank makes a massive comeback. Why would we be why would we be giving the money money to people that lost money on a stock? I've lost money on stock before. Do I get money back for Tesla? I bought it because Paul Pelosi bought it. Do I get my money back? He made money. I didn't. No offense, Tesla. Or fine. But Mark Calabria had a good point here. Bailouts should not be the norm. During the pandemic, you remember the, the US mortgage market? They actually avoided collapse without any bailouts. How do you think they did that? When COVID-19 sent waves through our financial market back in March 2020, a lot of people that were watching over America's mortgage market wondered what's going to happen. There were calls for Wall Street bailouts. 
uh, from the Federal Reserve. They responded very generously with the public's money, didn't they? Cha-ching, let me write a big old check for you. But that didn't really happen with the mortgage market. There were dire warnings that our mortgage market would collapse, but we gave no bailout, and our mortgage market, it continued to function very well, didn't it? The American economy actually lost 22 million jobs during the first two months of the pandemic, roughly from February to April. It was very similar to 2008. Do you guys all remember 2008? 2008 happened a couple years after I got out of college. And I was lucky enough, I got my foot in the door in corporate America. If I, if I was just a little bit younger, I might not even work in radio. These radio jobs didn't exist all of a sudden. They were laying people off in droves. So just like in 2008, they had these historic job losses. And, and you know, it poses a real risk to the mortgage market. Borrowers need to get their money. Excuse me, lenders need to get their money from the borrowers, and the borrowers were concerned. So the Federal Housing Finance Agency... Uh, which supervises things like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they reacted very quickly. They established programs to assist borrowers and renters. And we all expected that they'd be repaid any deferred mortgage payments. Many private lenders voluntarily established programs like that. And these assisted programs that people came up with voluntarily, they did put additional stress on large segments of the, the mortgage industry. But what ultimately happened? I mean, you know who is the most stressed by this uh, servicers, those entities that collect payments and, and forward them along to the mortgage investors. But despite having paid any of these mortgage servicers ahead of time to shoulder this risk, a lot of the mortgage industry demanded the federal government take over these payments. I mean, after all, everybody else is getting bailouts. Wall Street's getting bailouts. The airline's getting bailouts. The auto industry's getting bailouts. What about the mortgage industry? Not surprisingly, Wall Street firms began a campaign to attack anybody that was against these bailouts. Private equity and hedge funds were major investors in a few of these troubled services, right? So uh, I don't know about you guys. I'm a big believer in the net positive role that is played by, volu by, by, by voluntarily doing the right thing and fixing your own business model without the federal government's help. I object to the idea that investors could spend years pulling money out of a company and then when that company needs funds, request that the government provide it to them. That's not such a radical idea, is it? That's most of what modern day woke banking has become. Now, the good news is when investors came to realize that, you know, we would transfer the servicing rights of these companies, their main assets, and that they would have almost no value left, the investors decided to inject funding sufficient to protect their investments. It was a win all around without taking a single penny from the taxpayers. The mortgage industry actually managed to stay afloat simply because they made smarter decisions to handle what was taken. There, you know, you might argue they're the whole reason the crash happened in the first place, and that's a valid point. Remember, never forget why the crash in 2008 happened. Woke politics. Why did this crash happen this past week? Woke politics, both times. Remember what was happening back then? We were lending out money to people that had no business getting a loan because it made people feel better. He said, oh, well, there's not enough minorities. There's not enough women getting home loans. There's not enough young people getting home loans. Yeah, but a lot of these people have bad credit. And, the, and then politicians would say things like, all right, if you don't start giving out loans to, to, to ethnic minorities, racial minorities, religious minorities, uh, uh, sexual gender, the LGBTQ community isn't have good credit. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. Uh, well, they deserve a loan just because they're gay. 
it's weird, right? It's weird to think that that was what was going It wasn't that different from what happened this week. And, of course, all of a sudden, a lot of these people that had no business getting a home loan with no money down couldn't pay their loans, and then the big crash happened. There is a, there's a book that covers this. It's called Shelter from the Storm. And it talks about establishing a model for future responses like this. How can we simply get companies to be more responsible? The short answer is we get companies to become more responsible by asking them, by, by refusing to let them use the government as a solution when they mismanage their finances. Again, during the pandemic, the U.S. mortgage market didn't collapse and they didn't get a bailout from the federal government simply because they allowed their clients, they allowed their, 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 their borrowers you know, to take a break or to make smaller payments until they could get it figured out. These are big. These banks have lots of money, billions of dollars. I cannot imagine the insanity of how liberal Democrats will stand there and look you in the face with a straight face, not joking, not laughing, not even smiling, and tell you in one hand we care about the little guy. And then in the other hand, they'll tell you, but we want this bank to get a, a trillion-dollar bailout or a half a trillion, or hundreds of millions, whatever it is. You are dealing with people that do not care about the little guy at all. They care about lobbyists. They care about Wall Street. They care about their, their, they care about their political donors. Is Sam Bankman-Fried, you remember him, the FTX guy? He's still walking around free on the streets right now, isn't he? Weird. They're not in some hurry to send him off to prison, are they? I, I guess that's a different story. I know the judicial system moves at the speed of Glacier. I get that. It always has and always will. We cannot become a country that allows big banks to act as recklessly as they want and then promise them bailouts later on. You know, during the 2008 financial crisis, it was Republican George W. Bush who, reclaimed, who proclaimed, and I quote, he abandoned free market principles to save the free market. That premise was contended under Obama. I'd, I'd really like to see it end at some point. I know what you guys are thinking. What is it? Texas Independence Day or Alamo Day or something? No, it's not. I'm just going to talk to a good friend of mine who happens to be something of an expert on Austin, Texas, and what is going on right now in Texas state government and throughout the state. You know, uh, the city school boards, he keeps up with all of it. And what an appropriate day to do it. Today is International Ask a Question Day. It's a, it's as simple as that. Brandon Waltons is here from TexasScoreCard.com. Brandon, are you ready to answer questions on International Ask a Question Day? Uh, I'm ready, man. <laughs> All right, Brandon, question number one. When did time begin? Uh, on day one. <laughs> That's You know, he's not wrong. That's true. It's a, <laughs> Brandon, what are dreams? Uh, dreams is the life we live when we're asleep. You know what? He's right about that. Okay, okay how about a real question now? Right now, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Texas uh, Texas legislative session happening as we speak. The lawmakers are back in Austin. And something that's being discussed today and this week is uh, SB2. They're debating over restoring fennel, fennel, felony penalties for illegal voting. Now, 
I, I thought there was a vote on this yesterday, but apparently it's a two-parter. Here's what I don't understand about this, Brandon. Last year, since 2020, everybody's agreed we need to curb illegal voting and voting voter fraud in the state of Texas. And yet, amazingly, the last time we did a legislative session, we reduced the penalties for illegal voting. Now they want to bring it back to a felony from a misdemeanor. Am I understanding this right? Yeah, people might remember that big election integrity bill that passed a couple of years ago. This is the one that Democrats, you know, flew to D.C. and tried to avoid the vote on. Right. They eventually passed it, um, and and certainly some good reforms in that that bill. But um, at the same time, what you had was in the Texas House, you had an amendment um, added on um, that reduced the felony of illegal voting from, you know, being a felony down to a misdemeanor, which is pretty much the opposite, right, of what most people think about when they think of election integrity. Now, to be fair, the Texas Senate um, also passed it. It went into law. Um, and then people started getting fired up about it. Now you have the Texas Senate passing as one of their very first bills that they passed this session, um, a, a essentially a bill that um, restores that penalty right back up to a felony where it was before. Oh, amazing. I mean, it's just incredible. So now we're right back where we started, which is fine. It probably should be a felony. And two years ago, when we were voting to reduce the penalty to a misdemeanor, Texas Democrats were so mad about it. They flew to Washington, D.C., maskless in a private jet. I'm sure we all remember with a case of beer where they spread COVID all over Nancy Pelosi's office and the White House and Kamala Harris's office. If they were that mad about misdemeanor charges for voter fraud, Boy, they must be absolutely furious about this bill. Yeah, and unsurprisingly, right, it was a party line, you know, 19 to 12 vote in the Senate. Um, you know, if you put on your speculation hat, um, you know, and there's not really a way to prove this, but there is certainly some talk that, you know, that change was made to the bill in a way to appease the Democrats um, in order to get them to come back, which if that's true, I think that's uh, that's just shameful. It shows you sort of the state of where we are in the Texas legislature. Boy, that is so well said. And, you know, obviously the thing that's so funny about this is last time when they flew off to Washington, D.C. to complain, it was right after a presidential election season, right? Now we're right at the beginning of a new presidential election season, not after one, but right before. And I don't see them flying off to other states or cities to virtue signal. You think that's a coincidence or are they just busy with other stuff? You know, um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, if you look at, you know, how it worked out for them last time, I mean, there certainly weren't any punishments for any of these members. So there's not really a downside necessarily other than maybe some negative press. Um, but, you know, if they were to do it, I don't think it will be uh, on any of this election stuff. I think that so far the signaling we've seen from House Democrats, at least, uh, has been a strong opposition basically to any sort of effort to secure the border. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, last time when they all claimed that they were at, that they were in Washington D.C. protesting, in reality, uh, House Democrat representatives Julie Johnson of Farmers Branch and Jessica Gonzalez of Dallas were actually vacationing in Europe. I think they were in Portugal or France or something like that. Oh, boy, I could only imagine what exotic vacation they have this t- time, Brandon. And, and, and it gets worse. Don't you remember? Literally, you had members flying back to Texas and then going back, right? At the time when there was a lot of talk, oh, we're going to arrest them when they come to the state. Uh, yeah, that didn't happen. All right. Speaking of illegal voting, 
if I'm not mistaken, was it Minnesota that just le- they just voted to give driver's licenses to undocumented citizens? That's how they put it, essentially making them documented. Uh, I got to imagine they're going to be voting illegally up in Minnesota. That seems that seems like that would make it a lot easier. And while we're on the topic of illegal immigrants, illegal aliens rushing the El Paso border the other day. A lot of people watched this on the news, forced a shutdown of the border bridges. Uh, that was two days. That was one day ago that this news broke. Has, have things calmed down there or what? Yeah, uh, you know, you certainly uh, you saw over the weekend, it was Saturday, Sunday, um, you know, thousand plus um, of, the, of these migrants storming the port of entry, storming the, the port of entry right there in El Paso, trying to get across. Um, they were able to harden that area up. Uh, it did die down, but, you know, it just goes to show you a lot of the, the common um, thought about illegal, um, about what we need to do to combat uh, illegal immigration right now is um, focusing on areas, you know, those areas between ports of entry, right, where people sort of sneak across. And certainly that's a big area of focus. But this is probably the first time we've seen anything like this. We had a big coordinated effort right there at the bridge uh, with people trying to rush across. How about that, man? You know, sometimes it's interesting that the it's not what is in the news, but what's not in the news. And we've got this legislative sessions happening right now in Austin. Uh, Republican voters uh, overwhelmingly have been polled on this and said in the state of Texas they don't want to fund tuition for illegal immigrants at our universities anymore. Yet amazingly, and and it's a thing that happens, no legislation filed in the Senate to end in-state tuition for illegal immigrants this session. And again, it's not news, but it probably should be. Yeah, it's sort of the absence, right, of, of something happening, but it's a strange thing. I mean, um, generally, when we've, when we've looked at what's come out of the House and what's come out of the Senate, um, generally you've seen more conservative policies um, come out of the Senate. And yet, you know, this is one area where uh, it seems the House, at least in file legislation, has, has the Senate beat. I mean, in the House, you've got a couple bills uh, by State Representative Brian Slayton as well as uh, Terry Leo Wilson both of which would end this, uh, you know, what people are calling a magnet, uh, where we subsidize, give illegal aliens um, in-state discounted tuition to our public universities uh, at the expense of other American citizens. Uh, this is something that Republican voters overwhelmingly support doing. It's in the party platform. And yet the bill filing deadline came and went on uh, Friday. And nothing was filed on this in, in the Senate. So certainly a, a, a strange thing there. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, you know, it- Republicans said this was a priority. Republican voters said that. I guess lawmakers disagree. I guess the people we elected know better, Brandon. Maybe, gosh darn it, I guess they're just smarter than us. <laughs> well, they certainly think so, don't they? All right, so uh, speaking of education, you, you, you guys at Texas Scorecard spend a lot of time covering the school choice movement. We do as well here at KPRC Radio. And there's just so many reasons to have school choice. I don't even know where to begin. But one interesting news story today out of New Brunfels, a special ed teacher. This is a person that works with disabled kids, kids with special needs, who is also the school's girls soccer coach, has just been arrested for diddling little kids on the soccer. Inappropriate contact with a student, I guess, would be you know, the, the, the more formal way of explaining this. Can you tell us a little about what happened there? Yeah, once again here you have, and, you know, these stories are really horrific, and we, we, we've covered a lot of them at Texas Scorecard. Um, but, uh, you know, this is a case where New Braunfels, a central Texas school district out there, um, you had a soccer coach 
uh, arrested for, you know, inappropriate contact, as they say with the student, right? Basically sexually inappropriate behavior. And, and, the, and the sad thing is, is that, uh, you know, first of all, uh, you know, he was somebody who worked as a special ed math teacher as well, um, somebody who had been in the school. But this isn't the first story, right? This is far from the first story we've seen like this. And in many ways, it seems like, you know, like we're seeing more and more of these. And it's it's really unsettling. All right. Well, on the topic of school choice, uh, Dan Patrick and uh, who is this? Senator Brian Brandon Creighton, excuse me, have a bill that would compensate 949 rural school districts if students leave for private school. Now, this is the thing you always hear from people that are against school choices. What happens to the funding for the public schools? They'd lose all their funding. And that's not necessarily the case, right? I mean, this this bill that they've just proposed here, uh, what is this? Um, ah, it's not, I don't see it. Here it is. Senate Bill 8 would create educational savings accounts, but it, this does actually protect the rural school districts, right? Yes and, uh, and no, in, in the sense that, uh, you know, this bill certainly does have that carve-out. It's not exactly a carve-out per se, but um, basically students would get, families would get $8,000 for their student if they were to take them to private school. Now, it doesn't apply to homeschooling, something that um, certainly divides some people. Um, but even then, uh, you take the $8,000. Now, if a student does that um, and the school district has less than 20,000 students enrolled in it, um, then that school district is going to get $10,000 um, for, for two years for that student um, to make up for it. The interesting thing there is, you know, while we're talking about, okay, maybe, maybe in order to get this moved, you need to, like, do something for these rural school districts, um, the way it's written right now uh, would apply actually to the majority, the vast majority of school districts. Texas has about 1,050 some odd um, public school districts. This would apply to 950 of them, basically, you know, places like Highland Park and Prosper ISD and places that are not rural, right? And so it'll be interesting to see how this changes. Certainly, this is a, a good start, I would say. Um, but, you know, there's going to be there's going to be a, a, a little bit of work that needs to be done on this. If Texas is going to lead with uh, a school choice program like we've seen so successfully in other states. You know, it seems to me like there's so much untapped revenue out there from parents who send their kids to public schools. There's so many people out there that would send their kids to private schools if not for the cost. Like, they have a little bit of money extra to spend on their kids' education, but they don't have tens of thousands of dollars. And so when you hear teachers talk, you know, teachers that have been misled by the teachers' unions telling them, no, 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 school choice is going to ruin your job, you're going to get paid less money, isn't that exactly the opposite of what usually happens when there's more competition? School choice means better, more jobs for teachers, more options for parents. What's wrong with that? Yeah, and that's exactly the reason why you see, you know, at least Republican voters, but even honestly, when you pull Democrat voters on this issue, I mean, it's a pretty popular policy amongst all Texans. Uh, the people that seem to be the most against it are the teachers unions, um, you know, the same unions that we saw um, pushing for mask mandates in schools, pushing for schools to stay closed right during COVID. Those are the people that are the most vocally against this. And, you know, when you look at their agenda, it's no wonder why. My brother, Brandon Waltons, find his work at TexasScorecard.com. They got an email list. They do this thing called the Texas Minute. It's a short, concise, simple email. They send it to you every day. And, and, and not for nothing here while we're on the topic, but if you're on Twitter, follow Brandon Waltons. He's not hard to find. This is Bernie Sanders, and you are listening to the Pursuit of Happiness Radio. Now give me all of your money, because that's the only thing that's fair. 
90% of Americans in a recent poll said they want the government to be more prepared for the next pandemic. What do you think that means? I'm I'm with the other 10%. I just want to have a lifetime supply of toilet paper. That's it. Wasn't that the weirdest part of the pandemic? A respiratory illness is sweeping across the country, and the first thing people think about is their bungholes. I'll never understand it, my friends. Hey, a couple quick things. Uh, we're going to talk about gas. Speaking of, we're going to talk about gas coming up. Uh, no, fuel, energy. We'll, we'll get to that in just a minute. And also, your voicemail messages coming up in the next hour here. If you listen to this radio show on the iHeartRadio app, you already know there's an app you can download called iHeartRadio. You've already downloaded it, Android, iPhone, whatever you wanted to use. And while you're listening to this show or our morning show, there's a button you can push that says talk back. When you push that button, it lets you record a little 30-second message, and, and it emails it to me like it's an MP3, a little audio file. I won't bore you with technical mumbo jumbo if you like that uh, if you enjoy doing it do it right now and you could hear your voice coming up on the show in just a little bit like i said we're going to get to the gas thing in just a second but first a message from your child's kindergarten teacher and now a message from your local public school kindergarten teacher i just said that the hell hey breeders it's me isabella mariah jameson kindergarten teacher by day masseuse by night i just wanted to remind you that even though international women's day is over that doesn't mean i'm gonna stop talking to your five-year-olds about brave historical women like margaret sanger and leah thomas female lives matter and right now people with uteruses are being exploited by the patriarchy but don't worry i'm gonna teach your five-year-old all about this controversy so they'll be less confused about gender rights. Oh my god. Your tax dollars at work. That's right. Your kids are in good hands. Anyway, gotta run. Need to go take my estrogen supplements. I ordered them online from Russia so you know they're good. Oh. Ciao. Sounds like a mistake. Kids. I don't know what's wrong with these kids today. Good lord. Kids. Alright, a couple quick news stories. Um... I can't believe this is real, but yes, it is real. Representative Debbie Lesko today calling attention to the fact that the Department of Energy just moved to ban nearly all gas stoves. We were told over and over again, this isn't real. It's not a thing that's happening. They're actually trying to do this. The Biden administration is now coming for your gas stove. No, this is not a rerun, unless it is. I don't know. Today's March 14th, 2023. Is that is it a rerun? This is, should be live. I hope. It's weird to think I could be a recording. Anyway, the legacy media and the liberal left and the loony progressives, as they call themselves, they all attempted to brush off the initial gas stove controversy. Remember, this happened weeks ago. They said it was a right wing conspiracy theory. It's unsubstantiated. It's irrational. Nobody cares about your gas stove, they said. The White House even insisted that Joe Biden does not support a ban on gas stoves. And they said this after one of his federal consumer safety officials suggested that there was a ban on the table. But as we are seeing in so many other instances, Republicans were right. What? It's true. Joe Biden's Department of Energy is, in fact, pushing regulation right now that would effectively eliminate almost all gas stoves. So what does this mean? Essentially, the Department of Energy, the same department that recently fired weirdo Sam Britton, the gender-neutral puppy play advocate because he was stealing women's luggage from the airport. Yeah, that Department of Energy. They're conducting this gas stove grab through a rule that would impose 
I guess for lack of a better term, very extreme energy performance standards on your residential cooktops. The department's proposed rule set requires for gas cooktops, that means a stove, at the maximum technology feasible or max tech level, as they call it. Quote, that's their that's their technical jargon. Quote, max tech. Hey, your gas stove's not max tech. What the hell is max tech? Nobody knows. It's government jargon. And based on the government's own analysis, gas cooktops at the max tech level represent about 4% of the current market share of all the conventional freestand stovetop gas stop gas stovetops out there. I, I guess it should go without saying. Any rule that causes 96% of products available to be eliminated from the market, it seems a little extreme, doesn't it? It's essentially an outright ban on gas stoves, right? The vast majority. I mean, if, you're, if it's more than half, I would say it's concerning. So with the latest rush to green policy, the Department of Energy is failing to take consumer preference into consideration. They're, they don't care what you want. They're not interested in what you're concerned about. You know what's so funny about this? They're making it's very comical. Well, there's a couple things that are comical here. One, the Biden's Department of Energy is justifying this new requirement based on estimated savings to the consumer for gas cooktops. They're saying, no, 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 this will save you money in the long run. It's like, okay, yeah, but right now I've got to fork over. How much does a new stove cost? Like a couple thousand bucks? Do you have that right now? What is your, what do you think your gas bill is every month? Twenty dollars or at best? Do you have 2000 bucks right now to drop? That's what they're saying. And then, and then, of course, we all know the real reason why this is happening. They'll tell you the reason it's happening is also to prevent kids from getting asthma. How many people that grew up with a gas stove have asthma? I'm sure there's some, but do you think most? Many? A substantial part? No, I would, I would bet most people that have asthma probably did not get it from a gas stove. There's not any hard data to prove they did. No, I think it's really obvious why this is happening. The oil and gas energy, the, the, the energy industry, particularly the portion of the energy industry that handles things like uh, gas and propane and that sort of that sort of thing, generally is not a part of our economy where people are voting for Democrats. The money coming, the lobbying coming from that portion uh, of uh, of the consumer base generally don't doesn't seem to, to to trickle down to the Democrat politicians. So I think the real reason we all know that they're doing this this radical proposal from the Department of Energy. Is, is to hurt the energy. It's to hurt, it's to hurt conservatives. It's to hurt Republicans. Well, what else would it be? Now, there's another odd story today about uh, the Biden administration. As Tristan Justice put this, and I think he explained it quite well, Joe Biden is basically trying to have it both ways on Arctic drilling. We have just emptied out our strategic oil reserves, almost empty. And we shut down the Keystone Pipeline, and we've made it almost impossible to frack or drill for oil in most of the country. Not, it's not profitable. But now the president just yesterday gave the green light for the Phillips willow project. They're going to move forward in Alaska's National Petroleum Reserve. Um, they claim there's about 180,000 barrels of oil out there in the Trans-Alaska Pipeline that they can send this way. And so they're going to go out and... and the Department of Interior just unveiled a new regulation to choke off 2.8 million acres of the Arctic's Beaufort Sea. That's 13 million acres within the National Petroleum Reserve. So they're going to let people go there and get oil, but at the same time, they're simultaneously making it more difficult. And isn't it amazing that they're doing this right before presidential season, right? It's We're just getting into presidential election season, and Biden has done something that will, A, make it easier to drill, and B, make it harder to drill. 
and then they'll send out that information to whichever news outlets, news consumers seem more partial to whichever of the two things he just did. Which would you prefer he do? If if I was to sit here and parrot the Biden talking points, I would only be telling you about one of those things instead of pointing out the obvious contradiction here. The difference between a politician and a snail? A snail leaves its slime behind. You're listening to Kenny Webster. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.